So, Chloe and I met freshman year um, through a mutual friend of ours at a theater event because we all did theater together. Um, but I didn't actually really get to know her until sophomore year, which was during a production of Wizard of Oz. I would say I started praying for Emma about a month before she started coming and I invited her. Um, it was honestly one of those Tuesday nights where we start thinking like, hey, there's people out there in your relational world that you should be inviting and just kind of that was like the whole point of the message so that really got me thinking about who was close in my world since we had obviously just started uh, rehearsals for the, the show um, so I thought of her and I didn't really know her very well so that was scary but you know it she was just kind of in my mind and I was you know I've been very passionate all of high school about inviting people to church and none of them have ever come and I was like you know, I just kind of want it to happen. Like, I want someone to come to church because, like, I'm really, I really want that to happen for somebody at school. I think that'd be cool and like a good way to open it up to other people. And so, yeah, when she accepted, that was a big deal for me. So, since we were doing the show together, um, we would carpool just because we found out we lived like a block away from one another. So it was just like, oh, like we may as well save gas and you know, carpool. Um, and she just texted me and said, hey, like, um, I have this youth group that I go to every Tuesday night. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, I don't do anything. Why not? You know, because I didn't, of course, I was scared because I was like, oh, no, like, I don't want it to just be like, here's a Bible. Tell me all about it. And I'm like, I don't know anything you're about to ask me. Um, so that was definitely interesting. But I, I think I just decided to go because I really didn't have anything else to do. I was going to go home probably, you know, sleep and do homework, you know, that was it. So to think, uh, and it was also an opportunity to, to get to go know Chloe more, because we had just started the show when this happened. So I, I thought, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it, let's try it out, why not? And that was uh, definitely a very interesting experience, but a memorable one too. And I don't really know if it was an obligation or not, but I just thought it was the, good, the right thing to do for some reason. Um, and I'm sure at the time that was definitely a, a, a God thing for sure, but at the time I didn't understand that, so. Good morning. It's great to see you today. Um, that video was really fun. Chris spent some time with him and Chloe a couple weeks ago. And basically, I'd love for you to be able to watch the whole thing. Uh, that was just a small snippet of it. And it's available on our website. Let me show you the link. When you go to our front page, um, it doesn't say Todd Arnett. That's what it says. Um, but then down at the bottom, it says this is our series. We're starting the, the, just a, a short three-week series the rest of November called Reaching. And you'll note where it says either clicking on the graphic or down where it says read more. You go to the next page and there's an opportunity to watch the whole cut. I'd love for you to get to watch that because it's a great um, just conversation about how God was at work, not only in one person's life who recognized that there's people in my world who don't know Jesus yet, and I want them to, and another person who at that point had just not come to a place of realizing her own need for Jesus, and to see those stories connect and collide is just a really cool um, excitement to me. I also love that it's from our students who are really paving the way in a lot of ways at Trinity, and that's just really a, a neat, another neat thing, and they do life with 
Chloe and Emma, and know like none of us uh, who are perfect, we are not, they are not, and they get that, but it's a great example of really what we're talking about today of being ambassadors, representatives for Jesus in our world. So we're really glad you're here today. If you have um, your Trinity this week, you have notes that look like this if you want to get those out and have those ready to go. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in a passage that has become growingly more, um, I guess, significant or, or something very more common to us, and that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to make your way there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's some help. If you don't know where 2 Corinthians is, it's right after 1st, right? Right after 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Find your way there and uh, we'll be set in just a second. Let me give you a couple of things before we get started today. Um, today, one thing that we've been doing for the last few months is once a month, we'll create an environment we just call Start Here. And Start Here is just an opportunity if you're relatively new to Trinity Church. It's a chance to connect with some of our pastors, just get to know a little bit of our church leadership. Any questions you want to ask? Anything you want to know about, we're, we're fair game. We just love to be helpful to you and love to get to know you. So I have just really treasured those relational connections and opportunities. So I would love to get to meet you today if that hasn't been something we've been able to do yet. So right out here, <coughs> excuse me, out, out the double uh, wood doors and out on the plaza, you'll see a, a graphic that looks just like that. And we, we'll be there right after the service today. By the way, thanks for the... the um, uh, brass playing today out on the thing, some great, just kind of patriotic songs as we think about Veterans Day, and we're grateful for you. Uh, it sounded great between services, so that'll be going on after service as well. Um, also, what we're going to do today, we mentioned that we're in a, a new series just for these three weeks in the month of uh, November related to reaching, and I really want to thank Jim Willard and all of our missions leadership teams for what an incredible job they did last weekend. Do you want to give them a round of applause? I thought that was so great. And just really all throughout the weekend, all throughout the weekend just did a great job, not just on Sunday morning. And really what they depicted in a very powerful way was the idea of what it means that when God says he loves the world. What we want to do today, what we want to do through these next three weeks in November is we want to help you understand how God loves your world. And we're taking a global idea and making it very local talking about the way that God wants to use you strategically in your world, in your relationships. So if we think about it, the months of September and October, rightly so, we, we called that series Walking Through the Book of Colossians Rooted, and, and it has so much about the idea of what is the gospel and how do you walk in light of it. So here we are now in the month of November talking about reaching. And this is our church's mission, this is what we understand. We believe every church under Jesus's banner ought to be about people who are rooted in him and reaching their worlds. And so this fall, we're making much again of what our mission is all about and trying to keep that prime central right in front of us. And so that I'm excited for these next few weeks. Today, we're gonna talk specifically about this idea of what it means to, to engage as one of Jesus's representatives, to engage as his ambassador to your world. And I'm really excited to look at the passage and not only look at the what, but look at the why. So here's our, our now what idea for today. Intentional influencers are motivated to reach their worlds due to the reality of eternity and Jesus's love. Those will be our two key motivators we look at. Let's look at number one in your notes. Jesus has entrusted you to represent him to your world. Jesus has entrusted you to represent him to your world. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. It says, all this is from God. We'll explain the all this in just a moment. 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want to do something that's a bit odd today, and what I want to do is I want to begin with the end of this section of 2 Corinthians 5, and then work backwards to what precedes it. So we're going to start with kind of the, the final idea, and then work backwards. And the final idea is what we just read. It's the what, the directive, the call that we would be ambassadors, representatives of Jesus in our worlds. And what we want to do is we identify the what, I want to show you later on today the why. First, back to the what. It should be, in some senses, just so powerful and even a bit intimidating to understand that God has entrusted you and me, people that he has reconciled to himself who have responded to the free invitation of forgiveness through the gospel to represent that same invitation we've received from God to others in our worlds. Namely, that they would be reconciled to him. And I loved how that said it in this passage, that God was no longer counting men's, counting women's sins against them. That, that's this great news that we would want to not only know, but share. And the reality is, see how God is the hero in the story. We begin with the idea, God recognized the problem. You have to realize, not only did God see it, the problem wasn't God's. Meaning, God had created a universe, created everything in place, and a world for us to be rightly related to him. We were created to have an intimate relationship with our creator. But it was our predecessors who said, no, thank you, we'll do it our way, and as a result, plunged everything in creation into the reality of fallenness and brokenness because of sin. So God not only saw the problem, but see what God did, see how he's the hero. God went ahead, and not because of something we could offer to him, God instead offered to us the sacrifice that was required for us to be forgiven, for us to be right with God. The word reconcile was originally a word related to money. Listen to this, it says it was originally used as an exchange of coins. So meaning if you had one type of currency that was this and another this, how do you make them this, the same? You exchange one into the other's type. Now think about that related to persons. It's the reality of to change from enmity to friendship. To change from enmity to friendship when two parties align to the same position. So maybe you could say it this way in your notes. God made us right. He aligned us with himself through the very sacrifice that he provided in his one-of-a-kind son, Jesus. God provided the way for us to be aligned, reconciled to himself. And look at that next phrase. And he has committed to us, could literally be understand as he laid upon us or placed on us this ministry or word of reconciliation. And what is the result of all that? Therefore, for Christ, we are ambassadors. I think this next <clears throat> phrase is really powerful and should make us stop a little bit today. It says, as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making his appeal through us. I want you to see that's what was so powerful about last weekend. 
so powerful about our guest speaker who was speaking just words of profound truth related to the need that all people, when you saw the flags coming through the worship center, when you heard the songs done in different languages, it was this great global reminder that people all over the world are in absolute dire need for what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. We are without hope if not for him. And the reality is, is that he has chosen us through whom to make his appeal. The reality is this, and we said it last weekend, you, me, we are God's plan A, and he has no plan B. If you just let that sink over us for just a moment, you realize not only the gravity of that statement, but what you also quickly go to, unfortunately, is guilt. This is one of the ways to lay the most massive of guilt trips is to talk about people, talk about us in the way that we're not engaging our role as ambassadors. And I want you to hear me say it one more time, guilt never works. I don't use guilt, it's a manipulative tool. It makes you just feel bad for about an hour and then you go back to your life. So there's no reason to talk through the lens of guilt. And what I wanna say today is the reason why those two things are connected, you're an ambassador for God. I feel bad about myself. <laughs> I mean, that's a silly thing if you stop and think about it. You get to represent Jesus to your relational world, and now I feel bad. Think of it this way. I was thinking about this week. Suppose someone from the United States were to come to you and say, I would like you to be our representative, our ambassador to another place in this world. Would that automatically conjure guilt? I think it would conjure a sense of esteem. It would conjure a sense of responsibility, but I'd like you'd immediately go to guilt. I think you would go, wow, you would trust me to maybe be the only face, the only voice, the only hands of America to another place in the world to represent the interests here to somewhere else. What an awesome privilege and an awesome responsibility. That's probably how you would react to that. But yet when we talk about the reality where God has said that your citizenship, our citizenship has been changed, we're citizens of heaven, and now we rightly understand the word ambassador in this original Greek language means exactly what you mean, think it means. Someone who is a rep representative from one place to another. When we think about that, that God has chosen you, not just to reconcile you, but then to call you to be a representative and that should give us that same sense of privilege, that same sense of esteem, that same sense of honor and responsibility. And that's my hope today as we look at this passage that it would instead elicit those kinds of emotions rather than instantly go to the fact of how often you and I have failed. See it differently today. The amazing privilege that God hasn't just saved your soul and put you on the shelf simply buying time to wait to go to heaven. But instead he has said, I have saved you, redeemed you, reconciled you, so in turn you could be an agent, you could be a mouthpiece, you could be the hands and feet of Christ to represent this same message to the people in your world. What an amazing opportunity and responsibility. Look in your notes. God has reconciled you to himself and now values you enough values you enough, trusts you enough to be his representative, his spokesperson to your world. That's what I want you to think of when you read the word, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ.
That today is the what. Now I want to show you two of the whys that precede this in the passage. Look in your notes, number two. Evaluation before Jesus motivates us to be intentional influencers. Evaluation before Jesus motivates us to be intentional influencers. You're still in 2 Corinthians 5. Just move up the, up the chapter in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, so we make it our goal to please him. It's talking about God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now look at verse 11. Since then, based on that reality, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Huh. Now that's a bit distressing. A major motivator for you to represent Jesus to your world is that you're going to get in trouble if you don't? When was the last time that worked well as a motivator? The dread of consequences. You better or else. Well, can I tell you something? You actually might be surprised that all throughout the Bible, Old Covenant and New Covenant, God uses the clear communication of consequences. Remember, consequences is, uh, is neither a positive or a negative word. It's just simply the outcome. So God often talks about the consequences both of obedience and of disobedience. And he does so with the hope of being a motivator for his people to engage. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand from what we just read where this fear comes from. Because Paul said it, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. It's not a fear of what will happen to you in this case, but it's an appreciation for what hasn't happened to you, as well as of an anticipation awaiting what comes for a life well invested. I shared with you last fall the story of a time in my life. I was 18 years old. I remember it with crystal clarity. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was home from college on the weekend and I was volunteering in some sort of like a, a assistant volunteer youth staff role. And I remember I was at First Baptist Ukaipa and they moved the students into the main auditorium that day. And I remember I was in the back and I remember the guy got up to speak and he had this whole thing he was gonna share, but the very first place he told us to turn into our Bible, to turn our Bibles was 1 Corinthians 3. We'll look at that passage in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 3. And as he began to read these words, I'm in the back, I'm listening. I'm 18 years old. I'm just a few months out of high school, a brand new college student. I'm reading these words and they grip my soul in such a way. That was just the beginning. He would go on to read probably numerous passages and talk for another half hour, but I never left. I couldn't leave this passage. I kept reading it over and over and over again, asking the question, does this mean what I think it means? And as he talked, it was just like the teacher in Peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. I have no idea what he said. I was completely absorbed in what I was looking at and came to the realization that God is going to hold me accountable for how I live my life, even once I'm in him. That was news to me. I'd grown up in church, but I don't think I had ever heard of what this is called, what the Bible calls the Bema or Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. It was all completely new information. I mean, what is this that he's even referring to? This judgment or evaluation, let me give you a, a couple parameters. 
is for people of the other book. What I mean by that, in Revelation 20, all of humanity is standing before God, and it says, and the books were opened, as it were a record or an account of lives, and person by person continued in very quick manner. It showed that apart from Christ, they've not lived up to God's standard. But then it said, but then another book was opened, the Lamb's book of life. And people's names are written in this book simply because, not because they're religious, not because they're moral, but simply because they trusted Jesus to do what he did at the cross for them. Their account is paid in full because of what Jesus sacrificed. This is a judgment. This Bema Seat judgment relates to that group of people. So those whose salvation is not the question, but their reward is. That's what this other judgment is about. And the passage that really sheds light as well on this same judgment, we just read it from 2 Corinthians 5. Look on your screens at that passage that gripped me that day from 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we begin thinking in terms of a building, Jesus is the foundation of the house. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. That was the day I realized that having understood my need for the gospel from a young age and having responded to that invitation for forgiveness from a young age, that was the first time it became clear to me that I could live my whole life in Christ and for some sort of eternal value, some sort of eternal uh, significance, I could have nothing to show for it. More importantly, the kingdom of God would not be any better off because I was a part of it. And that brought me to this great sense of a holy fear that day. God, how am I going to invest my life? Let's talk a little bit about, in our, back to our passage in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul connects this idea of the Bema Seat judgment of Christ to this idea that since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Building upon the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, costly stones, the kinds of elements that when you add fire to them, it merely refines them. It doesn't burn away, it just makes them even better. But when you add fire to wood, hay, and straw, they're consumed. So of the types of things in my life, in your life, that would be gold, silver, costly stones, we know at least one of those things is that of being an ambassador for Christ? Because Paul connects that dot back to 2 Corinthians 5. And look at the fear. Let's talk about that for a minute. What kind of fear are we talking about? Are we talking about a kind of dread that you might expect from a merciless king towards subjects who don't obey? No. This is not that. By the way, that kind of dread is mentioned throughout Scripture related to a holy God and those who do not respond to his invitation for forgiveness. That kind of dread exists, but it's surely not the kind we're talking about today. God never talks to his family, 
never talks to his children in that, that tone? Is it a fear of deep unknown concerning how God will respond to us? And I, again, I'd say no. Paul seems relatively clear. This is how it's going to go. There's going to be a sense of reward or lack thereof. But I believe it's a healthy kind of fear when you understand who will be doing the evaluating and what's in store for those who live according to God's design and expectations as well as what's lost for those who don't. Let me give you an example today of what I think is the idea, when I think of a word of the idea of holy fear, what do I mean by that? Take a look at this picture. This is a picture of a Ford Focus. I know I'm like, I'm not even getting paid at all from Ford today to make a pitch for them, okay? This is a newer model, but I had a, a Ford Focus and I was getting ready to sell it. And as I was doing this, and you've heard already of the tales of Todd's lack of mechanical prowess. Okay, here's another good example today. And if you look, I didn't bring my laser pointer, but right to the, the, the left-hand side and above is a very short turning indicator like you would have on your car, very basic. Well, I was gonna sell my car, and I, I realized that a couple, maybe a month or two before, the turning indicator wasn't working in that. You would click it down, but when you would rotate the wheel, it wouldn't click back up, so it just stayed down. And I thought, well, if I'm gonna sell this car, I should, I should have it in the best working order I know. And I'm also cheap. So I thought, I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna fix it. Right there and then should have been enough warning to say, Wah, 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 you know, back off. Don't even try, Todd. But I just thought I would. So I looked online and I found the part. It was, I don't know if I changed the whole mechanism or just a, a it was the clicker basically part. And that's what I was looking for. So I found it online and I went ahead one day and I just kind of had the car in the garage and I just buckled down, I'm gonna do this. So I just began willy-nilly, just jump into it and I realized it gave me directions on how to change the part. And the first part of the directions is remove the airbag. Well, absolutely. I mean, how are you going to get to it? It's underneath. I actually initially looked at it. I thought, well, I'm just going to get, no, you got to remove the airbag to get to the inside. So I said, okay. Start my screws, and I'm starting to pull stuff off. Just take it. I literally took the airbag and threw it into the passenger seat, like a football. Then I start playing around and looking at stuff, and I didn't get more than about 45 minutes in and realize I'm way over my head. Now, my administrative assistant's husband was a mechanic. So I get on my phone, and I call Chris. I say, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm tearing into my car. I'm trying to fix this thing. I got the new part. Would you walk me through? I'm just stuck here. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. He's like, well, first of all, Todd, you, you've already unhooked the battery cables, right? I said, Chris, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm fixing the turning indicator. It has nothing to do with the battery. I don't know. Where, where, what are you talking about? He's like, no, Todd, the airbag... You need to unhook the battery terminals because the airbag's live for about a half an hour even after you take the power off of it. And it's strong enough to snap your neck if you don't do that first step. I'm in my garage on my cell phone and I'm staring at the football, right, in my front seat. And I'm just sitting there going, God, this is one of many uh, ways that you have again saved my sorry life. And, and as Chris talked me through the rest of the way, I said, no, Chris, I didn't know that. He said, kind of get away from the car and let's make sure no explosions happen, you know, at this point. And I'll never forget when I got to the end, he helped me through it. And I've been working on the car now longer than a half an hour. So any potential still energy within the bag should have been depleted. But I remember sitting in the driver's seat and the first time, whoop, this time, 
It's like holding nitroglycerin, right? And you just put it back in and, you know, duck and, you know, this whole thing. And, and I'll never forget having this powerful understanding of the power that was in my hands, where initially I thought it was just like a football. I can toss it the next time I realize there's something truly powerful that you're holding. By the way, I did unhook my cables when I put it back on. So we were going, Todd, you still could have blown up. I know, I did. And, and here's what I'm trying to talk about. When it comes to having a holy fear of who God is, it's recognizing the power and the awe that we can sometimes do this with. I know God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. I love it. I love that for you. I love that for me. We just have to remember who it is that calls us into that relationship. And he's much bigger than a best buddy. And this passage reminds us of that like so many others do throughout the Bible. You have a healthy understanding of who God is and what he expects you to do with the life that he's decisively changed, that he's aligned to his position. Look at the last phrase. As a result of this, we try to persuade others. This is what we finished with our last week of the Rooted series. We attempt to convince, another word for persuade, those who are unconvinced. That's a posture that we live in. We have unconvinced people in our lives. And we don't do that because we are so articulate. We don't do it because we have so much apologetics in our heads. We don't do it because if we just say this one thing they can't argue with, we know they'll come to faith. No, it's Paul who says, it's the same author of this passage, who says to the Ephesians in chapter two, nobody can respond to the gospel until God quickens and awakens them because they're spiritually dead on arrival. All of our best efforts they fall on someone who is spiritually unresponsive until God does a work. That's the beauty of the video that you'll get to watch is what was the work that God was doing under the surface in Emma's life that even Chloe and others closer couldn't even see. That's God's part and the beauty is he invites us into a partnership that we get to be a part of it as well. Finally today, I wanna to look at one more motivator. Number three in your notes, Jesus' love for us and for others motivates us to be intentional influencers. Jesus' love for us and for others motivates us to be intentional influencers. We're back in 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I want you to see the importance of these words. While Paul includes not only the what, this amazing responsibility and privilege to represent very God in our worlds, and not only gives us the motivator of having this right kind of engagement because we will be evaluated someday, he also includes this prime motivator, the deep, deep love of Jesus. In this past year that we've been talking much and laying out the foundation of a rooted and reaching mission, I've had really great conversations personally with people who have said, Todd, I love what we're doing. I do believe it's great commandment, great commission kinds of stuff. My only concern is that as we push on that idea that it's, it's a human nature to start turning things into checklists. Well, if I do X, Y, Z, I'll be rooted in Jesus. And if I start connecting with people, check, 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 then I'll be reaching my world. 
And all of a sudden, people become projects. I want you to hear clearly today, no person in your relational world is a project. What they are is they are loved by God. And I hope loved by you. That's the nature in which we engage. I just want something to drip over you a little bit today. I want you to close your eyes if you would with me. And in closing your eyes, I want you to consider this reality, something we learned from the book of Colossians, that all of the universe, everything in the created order, all of the universe is being held together in the person of Jesus from Colossians 1. And that almighty creator of the universe not only has all those things in motion, but he deeply loves you. He loves you for all that you are, and he loves you for all that you are not. Because it was never about how you could get yourself cleaned up enough to be presentable. It was always about the nature of who God is. God is love. And he loves you to a degree and a depth you haven't even been able. Paul, to the Ephesians, I pray you'd understand the dimensions, the depth of God's love over you. And as you open your eyes and as you consider that reality, that God didn't just love you with words, he loved you with action. His one and only son on a cross in your place to show you what love looks like. And he's done that and he wants that love given to you to overflow into the lives of others you do life with. Look in your notes. Love begets love. And as you understand the extravagant love of Jesus towards you, there should be a cause and effect, a cause and effect relationship between being loved by Jesus and loving others in Jesus' name. Look how the Apostle John puts it in 1 John 4. This is love, almost like a, a textbook definition. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The very next words, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We didn't begin setting out to love God. God was the one who looked down and loved us. And as a result, makes the implication, makes the cause and effect relationship. As I've loved you, so love others. Specifically, as we're talking today, those in your relational world. Look at the logical next step. Because Jesus died, we all died. Not only to the hold that sin has on our lives today and potentially would have in eternity, but we also died to ourselves. We died to our version of our lives so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. You were made to be free from sin and its penalty, not just so you could bask in the awesomeness of being redeemed, of being rescued. But watch this, you were rescued to rescue. That's always been a part of the plan. We've said it before. How on earth would you have known this great news of the gospel if it wasn't for other people taking this same privilege and responsibility to want to share it with you? So also the people in your relational world, how are they gonna hear it? How are they gonna see it? How are they gonna know it without you being an ambassador for him? 
One of the great quotes that our guest speaker finished with last week actually totally connects to this point. It was C.T. Studd who said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He died for me, I'll live for him. That's how it goes. Some of you have been waiting for a day like today. Waiting for a day not to hear from me, but to hear from the word of God the incredible opportunity, the incredible importance of engaging your role as an ambassador for Jesus in your world, of realizing that eternity will have an evaluation. And maybe today something gripped you, the Spirit of God gripped you like it did for me almost 30 years ago when I realized, God, I don't want to just simply escape into eternity. I want to show that the deposit you made in my life was something I invested in others as well. Others of you would say, Todd, I'm, 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 I'm about this. I get it. And I have really taken to heart, even over this last year, how important it is to live as an ambassador in my world. I'm just still not good at it. It's awkward. I'm wooden. I don't know how to bring up conversations about Jesus I don't know how to ask good questions. I don't always listen well. I always bring up my, my opinion. And can I just say this? That's exactly why Doug Pollock is coming next week. I really want to encourage you, be here next Sunday. Be here next Sunday in these services and hear Doug talk about how to have naturally significant spiritual conversations. And like Bill said earlier today, it's not techniques. It's really valuing people, valuing where they come from, and valuing what it is that you see God might wanna do in their lives. Sunday morning, he'll be with us. Sunday afternoon, leading a workshop, two to five. You can get his book today. You can get signed up for the workshop today on the plaza. I just want you to know this is why we're doing this idea next Sunday, is we wanna put good tools in your hand. Today, if anything has kind of pricked your heart to say, yes, I wanna engage, next week will be so helpful, it'll be the how-to. Here's the last thing in your notes today. Being Jesus' ambassador is something that we can all do because we all have relational worlds that God has supernaturally, strategically placed us among so that we might be a source of Jesus' influence in their lives. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today. We've shared a lot about the truths of what our lives have been rescued for this great privilege and responsibility to be your ambassador, your representative to our worlds. And I pray for the issues that are going on in personal lives in this room today. Pray for the issues going on in the lives of people in our worlds, but God, really, where my heart is at today, something we prayed initially for at the beginning of the service, our heart goes out to our state. God, it's been a rough week in this state of California. We think of those that have been dealing with the ravages of just incredible, powerful wildfires, destroyed a whole town in Northern California, taken lives, got here in Malibu area, the same thing. Our prayer would be for those affected by that, for those fighting the fires. God, would you lay grace over them? Would you bring the end sooner than later? We also think of this horrific shooting in Thousand Oaks in the middle of the week this week. We think of lives that were lost, those that are today picking up pieces and trying to figure out how to move forward. God, we pray that in these moments of significant loss, would your people 
God, that are connected, whether geographically or relationally, to these situations, would your people be your hands and feet, be your voice to a world who so desperately needs hope. And we pray even in whatever way we can participate, God, would we be helpful to the same end. We love you. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.